Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And Dead or Alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> and I'm your host, Robo Javi. Ow, why'd you hit me? Uh, and this is our first episode of 2020. Well, we did it, baby. A whole decade of doing this show. A whole year. A whole decade. We've done this into a decade, right? And uh, this week's movie is the 1987 Paul Verhoeven movie, Robocop. Is that how you pronounce it? I say Verhoeven. I, whatever. Veer? Whatever. I mean, I'm not nitpicky. I, I, I go based on the way it's spelled. Like, oh, no, it's, it gets to spell more like Verhoeven. I've huh. just, I've every time I've heard it said, it's Verhoeven. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm also not shitting on you, just heads up. Well, Paul, Paul Verhoeven is, uh, I've seen three of his films. Was it Showgirls? Yeah. One of them was Showgirls. I've, I've seen Robocop, Showgirls, and Total Recall. <laughs> and no, you've seen four of his movies. I know you've seen Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's also Verhoeven, huh? Yeah, yeah, no. Fucking liar. <laughs> well, he's, he's, so he's a foreign director, and he was brought on to do this uh, American film that... I you know it, it kind of went through several stages of production, right? The story of how RoboCop was made deserves its own episode, as opposed to just a review of the movie itself. Because this movie went through so had so many people attached to it, so many different directors, so many different actors that so many like it's just. It was a wonder one. It got made, and two, it it got made the way it is now. You know. Um Especially, I don't know, I feel, per, me personally, I have a very big soft spot for this movie. Because I remember as a kid, I like it, it was kind of like the movie I tricked my parents with. Because I'm like, oh cool, Robocop, it's like a superhero movie. And then it's like this ultra-violent fucking sci-fi. Everybody thought it was a superhero <laughs> movie growing up. Everybody was able to watch Robocop. They had the cartoon in the 80s. Yup! That really bizarre cartoon where they actually turned him more into Inspector Gadget than anything. And he had skates. <laughs> and he would do all kinds of weird and crazy shit. Like, oh, I remember it, it was just really interesting because it was one of those films where it's like... It was the perfect storm of everyone that needed to be there to make it work, and they yep. made it work, you know? Well, the guy who who wrote the script, Edward Neumeier, um, well, it's Edward Neumeier and Michael Miner, but Neumeier is kind of like the driving force behind the script being made, and he was, I guess, inspired by a poster for Blade Runner, mm-hmm. which, you know, I guess makes sense, because obviously Blade Runner is about replicants... Mm-hmm. It is a it's a, it's 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 one of the uh, it's one of the Philip K. Dick novels, right? Like yeah, it is. Was it uh, would do Electric Sheep Dream of or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Philip K. Dick's really interesting, but neither here nor there. Yeah. I just think it's <laughs> hilarious because it's such a stupid concept. The way the way it was explained to me it's was a, that it's a stupid title. Oh no, totally! Like, for all intents and purposes, the concept sounds stupid because, well, the way the origin story of Robocop, the way it was told to me, was that uh, Newmeyer pretty much saw this poster and was like, hmm, a human that hunts robots. What about a robot that hunts humans? <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> that, that you all you did was switch the concepts, and you didn't do anything new. And then it turns out he did a lot of new things. And then you take a stupid name like RoboCop, and you think this is gonna be the most just 
balls to the wall, two-fisted action movie ever. And never did I ever think that I would still be talking to this movie almost at almost 30 years old. <laughs> like, oh, every time watching it, finding something new I like about it, you know? Oh, funny enough, the original title for this film in the script states, Super Cup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, nah, that, like, Super Cup will always be that Jackie Chan movie to me. <laughs> and I guess, like, the rough draft of this script, I guess the point of it was it was a police officer who had been seriously injured. He becomes a donor for an experiment to create a cybernetic police officer. And I guess it's, like, I guess uh, part of it was... The idea of a cyborg kind of robot movie that was Newmeyer, and then Miner is the guy who brought in the idea of him being a police officer. Like the cop element. So it really is like getting your chocolate with your peanut butter. You know, <laughs> I'll put my chocolate in your peanut butter. Excuse me? I'm sorry, this is a Christian podcast. <laughs> what was it? Um, I remember one of the original taglines I read for this was Dirty Harry with ball bearings. Oh, Jesus. It was like the most cheesy 80s bullshit ever. It's really weird. This movie is the ultimate Trojan horse. I had a lot of trouble really wanting to revisit it as an adult. Obviously, I watched it as a kid. My dad, like, rented it, and I remember, like, seeing it one Saturday afternoon with him. But, I mean, I hadn't watched this movie at all until I was a full adult again. Mm-hmm. And um, I really can't remember what what it was that brought me to watch it. But when I did end up watching it again, I could not believe it. Like, by this point, it was post I had... It was post Angel has taken his film class and is now, like... Uh, hipster about movies right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know it's a movie that on the outside looks like an action film it looks like a superhero film Mm -hmm. it looks like it fits in very well with like how modern like superhero like marvel whatever that kind of stuff right in and especially in the late 80s when you had movies like commando and rambo well even rambo was one of those trojan horse movies but you know like it's that gung-ho era filmmaking predator like that there was a lot of genre there was a lot of genre marrying that happened in mm-hmm. 80s movies. Horror comedies were big. Sci-fi horror was big. Um, and just sci-fi in general. So this this movie, really, it, what's impressive about it is that it is a movie that takes a lot of digs at capitalism. Consumerism. Um, just like corporations and like how much of a say they have in our day-to-day lives right and and it's one of those things where much like i think i i don't know if i talked about it on a previous episode here but definitely okay a couple years ago when the handmaid's tale came out on hulu Mm -hmm. it was very interesting and timely because we were looking at it in a time when you know our current presidential administration was rolling back a lot of a lot of uh reproductive rights right Mm -hmm. Pretty Which much, is, it came in at the time of the, like, the height of the Me Too movement. Right. And funny enough, when I actually read the book, it was in high school, and it was in the mid-aughts, and I just remember it feeling like, I was like, man, this really feels like what somebody in the 80s or 70s thought the future was going to be like. But then I watched the series on Hulu, and I'm like, holy mother of shit. Mm-hmm. This movie gave me that exact same feeling when I watched it for this podcast, because there are so many themes in this film that 
it just fucking takes you right into the world that we're living in now. So, Ro- just so you know, before we get into the movie itself, RoboCop is more relevant than ever. Just like when we watched, uh, what's it called, um, Do the Right Thing. Yes, I just drew a parallel between RoboCop and Do the Right Thing. It's just funny that you mentioned that because literally right before we started this episode, I put up a tweet that said, remember when 1987 RoboCop was a uh, sci-fi Jesus allegory and not a documentary? <laughs> no, it totally, it totally is too. It is a Jesus allegory. But American Jesus. But it also, like, to me, it, it draws a lot of parallels to, again, Batman, The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Because um, <laughs> everything goes back to Batman. Well, if you ever read uh, Dark Knight Returns, I mean, it's the style is very similar. A lot of it is you're looking at news anchors that are describing what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's really, this movie does an impressive job of world building and telling you where you're at. This is Detroit in the quote-unquote not-too-distant future, but absolutely feels like the 80s. It's hard when you say that not to bust out in the MST3K song. <laughs> not-so-distant future. Um, and it's, it, I guess it, was, it takes place in Detroit, but I guess the movie was actually filmed in Dallas. Yeah, because it was around that time Dallas was making a shit ton of money because they were offering very low tax... Like, you know, they're offering tax breaks for filmmakers right. and bring yeah. a lot of people in. Again, I'm not I'm not someone who really has been to Detroit, so I mean you tell me a city Detroit and I'll believe it. I'll believe it. <laughs> I'll say I'll say it definitely doesn't feel like the Detroit from It Follows. Oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> That's probably more like what actual Detroit feels like than anything. But And you know, before I move on from the setting, I think this is the right time to talk about it. It's really interesting when they film outside because it just it feels like even though this is a big budget Hollywood movie, big budget Hollywood movie, I put air quotes. Um, it feels like the outdoor scenes take place like in a trauma movie, and I only bring that up because I just watched Toxic Avenger. Um, but it just feels like it takes place in an area where it's like okay, there's no one over here. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna film as fast as we can before rush hour traffic. Comes Absolutely, in. I think this movie benefits greatly from the fact that it came out in '87 and it did not come out after Batman '89 mm-hmm. because I feel like one of the worst thing that's happened with anything with like stuff like Dark Man, uh, any The Shadow, like all these movies that came out in the '90s. The problem was that they were all chasing the tale of Tim Burton's Batman. So they all took place on these big, elaborate, 1940s looking sets. Mm -hmm. And it it, it is, like, dark, and it had the gothic music and all that kind of stuff. And and thankfully, none of of that is tainted like that. Because you you would just know that a director in the 90s, if this was made just 10 years later, would Mm -hmm. be tempted to do something like that. That being said, like, a lot of this movie does take place indoors. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, it doesn't hurt the film at all. Anything that's shot on location has, like, a real feeling of tactile reality is fantastic to me. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I'm watching a play when I'm watching something that takes place on a set. Mm-hmm. Or something that just feels like it's not taking place in the city it's supposed to take place in. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked a lot about how Godzilla feels weird because it was it takes place in San Francisco, but it wasn't actually filmed in San Francisco. Air quotes. <laughs> San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. And, but at the same time, 
even though this movie wasn't filmed in Detroit, the fact that it feels gritty, it feels like a big city, it feels like a portrait of urban decay, mm-hmm. much like, unfortunately, Detroit has become in the, in the decades since, mm-hmm. uh, there is a lot of reality to it. Um, this is a world where the police department is now going to be owned by corporate interests. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just it's everything, right? Like, corporate interests, like, drives our... Political elections um, are consumer, like, the the safety of consumer products are driven by people who pay money to the government. Like, what? You're telling me people have money can do whatever they want? <laughs> no way. And one of the things that, that this movie, why it is a dystopia is because everything's been corporatized. And I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> well, and it's kind of perfect because the, the problem with a lot of like movies from the 80s, if you're talking just about like Poltergeist or you know just anything that came out in the 80s, people really wanted to be yuppies in the mm-hmm. 80s. Like people wanted to have high paying corporate jobs. They wanted to have houses in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. They wanted to live this you know this Spielberg 1980s movie kind of lifestyle everyone wanted to be big yuppies like you know Patrick Bateman <laughs> not knowing that yuppies were sociopaths like Patrick <laughs> Bateman <laughs> but this movie what does it is daring in the decade that it came out in is it was willing to kind of shine the mirror on the on the society that that was probably watching this film and here I thought I was just watching a robot guy shoot people. <laughs> uh, so the movie revolves around uh, the character of Alex Murphy, played by uh, Peter Weller. Mm-hmm. Who, Peter Weller is an awesome actor. Um, I definitely God. mostly know him from this. He's coming, you know, around this time, 1987, he's coming off from his popularity from Buckaroo Banzai. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Never seen it. No, I have not either. I'm probably going to watch it after this. I because... hear, I've heard about it on enough podcasts and read about it in books that uh, I should watch it at some point. I just have not at this point in my life. <laughs> so he's not really like a relatively known actor. He's, I mean, but he's got like enough of a following where uh, people, you know, know who he is. I feel like much like a lot of the Hammer guys that ended up being in Star Wars... He's a character actor, mm-hmm. you know. Unfortunately, he's a guy who was in a lot of B exploitation kind of deal, like you know, it is. And this movie does typecast him as a sci-fi guy. Um, Do you want to know who was else was supposed to be uh, uh, Alex Murphy at a certain point? Sure. That includes Rutger Hauer. He I can tired. see that. I yep. can see that because of the Blade Runner connection. And he was... If you watch Blade Runner, which I'm going to suggest that we do this year for the podcast, man, his performance in that film is top-notch. Like, top-notch. There is... I have a friend of mine uh, that, you know, 10 years ago we were talking about this film. And he talks about how... Uh, you know, someone that he knows, like, it, you get emotional listening to the monologue that Rutger Hauer gives in that film. Like, he's fantastic. And, and apparently he improved a lot of that monologue, yeah. from what I've heard. <laughs> but this isn't a Blade Runner podcast, so I'll get a... I'll so get everyone shut the fuck up and get back to Robocop. At one point, they had Arnie, good old Arnold Schwarzenegger, was, was originally one of the people that floated by. You know, um, he already played a robot in the 80s, so I did not need him to be RoboCop. Yeah, and also, 
uh, like it's just too cartoonish the way he talks. Like that's the thing. Peter Weller has to become the cartoonish speaking RoboCop, and I think Arnie already speaks cartoonishly. And the Ice Age comments. <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> and why am I blanking on the last guy? The guy that played Bishop in uh, Aliens. Oh, uh... Lance Henriksen. Yeah. Lance Henriksen at one point was tied to be... There was a lot of interesting people that were tied to, to be Lance Henriksen, much a sci-fi character actor as well. There was one other guy. I think it, or I think the only reason they didn't go with... Oh, Michael Ironside was another guy that was tied. Oh, wow. Now, the reason they didn't pick him, because it, it got to the point where it was between Ironside and... Um, why am I blank? Peter Weller? The, they ended up going with Weller because he was smaller. Because they thought that uh, Ironside wouldn't fit in the costume. Mm -hmm. And then, as we learned, Peter Weller almost died <laughs> playing RoboCop. Losing three pounds a day in water <laughs> because it was so hot to move yeah. in that goddamn suit. Uh, funny enough, a connection between Peter Weller and Michael Ironside is both of them played Batman and did the voice of Batman at some point. When did Michael Ironside do it? Michael Ironside did a guest appearance on an episode of Batman the Animated Series. It was an episode where there's four... It's called Legends of the Dark Knight. It's like four kids that are walking around the streets of Gotham at night and they're all telling stories. Mm -hmm. And the stories that they tell about Batman are essentially like three different eras of Batman. I remember, yeah. And the second the second one is the Dark Knight Returns world that they live in. So it shows like the mutant leader versus Batman from there. Mm -hmm. And the voice of Batman in that short is Michael Ironside. That's crazy. And then, of course, when they actually did finally, uh, you know, do a animated adaptation of the dark knight returns peter weller does the voice of batman there you know what we're gonna rename this show six degrees of batman and we're gonna talk about <laughs> all movies will eventually go back to batman interestingly enough i don't think it'd be hard to do that <laughs> we're pretty good at that we're good at finding clues back to batman so peter weller i mean yeah he voiced batman but more importantly he's robocop back to fucking robocop <laughs> well funny enough peter weller i think one of the things that works for him in this film is i really like the way he talks i he has like such a i, I don't know how young he is but he just has such a young like smooth robotic way of talking and just like his face like he's very monotone and he has like an angular voice i mean angular voice angular face so it's already geometric but then his voice... Okay, it's not monotone, because he can, like, emote and shit. But it's just... Yeah, like, he's just smooth. Like, it just... It's a voice you want to hear. I you can know? listen to Peter Weller, like, read me an entire audiobook. And come... I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so, he plays hotshot cop Alex Murphy, who gets shipped over to... Um... I think it's supposed to be Detroit, like, just Detroit Metro, like, the big one, right? It's supposed to be, like, the big, most busy police department where it looks like officers are dying on the daily. Yeah, like, left and right. And at least, and, you know, all these cops right away, they, they, they're dressed, like, you, you get the vibe that they're in a war zone. They're wearing, like, these thick pads, this body armor, all their cars look, like, super reinforced, um, it really drives home that if this is not apocalyptic, it's going to get there very soon. <laughs> yeah, and funny enough, I mean, like, obviously it's not the exact same thing. But the world we live in where there's, like, rampant homelessness, 
you know, the wage gap or the wealth gap continues to widen every single day, you know, causing more crime in cities that we've known and grown up in. Uh, just the fact that there is so much more urban decay in not just Detroit, but other cities around the country, it makes this movie absolutely relevant and topical. And, you know, before we before we get into Peter Weller, I'm sorry, Peter Weller, uh, Alex Murphy's, like, first day on the job. Because, reminder, everything that happens after this is at least... There's nothing that tells you this didn't all happen on his first day on the job. Yeah, no, it absolutely... What impresses me about this movie is how quickly everything moves. Yeah, like, like not at all. Like, like you I mean... Have the, you have the newscasts that basically tell you what's happening in the world that you're living in. Mm-hmm. It tells you... Like, it, the, the news stories are really ridiculous and kind of funny, too. And it's also, like, you know, like, got commercials that are weaved into it. The style of this movie is so unique... That it is one. I'll be honest, like about how I feel about this movie right now. This is really one of the top five films that I've ever seen in my life. I love this movie that much. Oh yeah, like spoiler alert, we're gonna gush a little bit about this movie, y'all. So we get introduced to OCP, also known as Omni Consumer Products, which is essentially uh, imagine Amazon and how Amazon's taking over all our life. Or Tesla, or Apple, like just one of those yeah, companies absolutely. that makes everything. You know, this is absolutely Amazon. It really is Amazon. Like if like once Amazon finally takes over your local police department, and when Amazon decides to uh, <laughs> take on defense contracts as well. Yeah, no kidding. Again, everything like. Right now, when you talk about just the economics of the war that we went to in the last decade against Iraq, and it just all the war, the myriad of wars that we've been stuck in in the Middle East for decades, is all of it is it's completely related to you know the fact that there are a lot of people who profit off a of war, and we talked about it when we did the Last Jedi as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think 2014 RoboCop with uh, what's the name uh, McKinney, Joe Kinnaman, Joe Kinnaman, there and uh, Michael Keaton. That's not yeah. That was a, that was a I'll be honest. I really that is a movie that kind of came and went. The remake, but there are. It's better of, than two and three. <laughs> it's better than three. For even, sure. I, I I have to be totally honest. I do have a soft spot for RoboCop 2. Because it was for kids. It was more for kids. No. There was a kid in it. Therefore, it was for kids. That's all you needed, man. <laughs> but uh, I think that one definitely hammers home like the whole military-industrial complex, right? But in this one, as just you know, for the sake of what's going on, they're talking about... They, they specifically focus on uh, militarizing the police force here in Detroit. So we get introduced to the main bad guy, Dick Jones. Richard Jones. I love the... First of all, I love the running joke of whenever someone's mad at him, they call him Dick. <laughs> but he is pioneering this program for the the ED-209, right? So I forgot what ED stands for. But essentially, there are these like, weird at like two-legged at-ats. Like... That go around um, 
that go around shooting, <laughs> shooting people. <laughs> and essentially the idea is that they're mechanized police force, so that way they don't even need flesh and blood, blood cops, and that they can tell things apart, or they can tell the difference between someone that is a hostile and a, a regular yes. civilian. ED, ED stands for in, uh, enforcement droid. Thank you. So the enforcement droids. So, you know, uh, you know, OCP is doing this huge, uh, you know, presentation to the... Uh, owner, I believe, is the nameless owner. Does the, he? Ever? No, they never name him, but he's just referred to as the old man. Funny enough, the old man is uh, a lot of horror fans will recognize him as the villain in Halloween Three. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What? That, in fact, I watched him in Halloween Three first, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Man, I've seen this guy before." And then I remember listening to a podcast where they were like, "Yeah, he's like he's the old man from RoboCop." <laughs> And I was like, oh shit. So yeah, no, he is only referred to as the old man in this film. So the old man is pretty much deciding which projects get greenlit and which ones are shut down, right? Right. So And of course we talked about the fact that there, that this department is on the verge of uh, a strike. So yeah. one of the funniest things really in this scene is uh, is... The fact that this movie manages the shifting of tones very well. Oh yeah, not like without a problem. Like, because it starts off as like a serious boardroom scene, and then next thing you know, like the ED two hundred nine comes in and all in all of its stop motion glory, <laughs> <laughs> and and they end up doing like a test on it. It basically turns into that comedic scene from Iron Man two where they show you like all the like. People who tried to create versions of the Iron Man suit. And get horribly crippled. Yeah. And yeah, that's exactly what ED-209 is. Except it has a very, like, costly, like... Malfunction. You know, yeah, like, <laughs> it, it, they, it, it, they single out one of the guys in the boardroom and they tell him, you know, ED-209 tells him to drop his weapon. He drops his weapon and the... <laughs> The robot still doesn't recognize it and ends up shooting him to death until he flies out the window and dies. <laughs> no, that, no, you're, you're confusing it because it's Dick Jones and gets shot out the oh, window. Oh shit! This guy's the one that his oh, yeah, corpse just falls keeps... on the model, and then ED two and I keep He's shooting, shooting the it, body. and then like puddles of blood like just explode out of its like body. That's one thing about this movie; they have zero problem going through like hundreds of squibs. Yeah, no. Uh, Paul Verhoeven is it, it, this movie is highly violent and it's on purpose he basically wants to show like it's essentially like poking fun at exploitation like films right and it's that's part of it the other part of it is that not maybe not many people know but Paul Verhoeven is Dutch and I mean where's where are the Dutch from Denmark no, the no it's Danish oh Netherlands thank you I know Europe I know geography <laughs> So he actually grew up during Nazi occupation of, you know, Western Europe. So he grew up watching terrible shit happen on the daily. So to him, violence is just like, to him, violence became so matter of fact and such a daily view of life is that when you watch his movies, whether it's this, whether it's Starship Troopers, whether it's uh, whatever, a Total Recall, right? Like, the violence isn't treated in a way where it's really glorified. It's just really matter-of-fact. Like, it just happened. It's there, you know? And, yeah, you know, like, from an American sensibility, you do see it as over-the-top because of Grindhouse movies. But also, at the same time, we're used to those types of, like, over-the-top violence, right? Yeah. Well, 
so then we get introduced to Alex Murphy himself. It's his first day on the job in this police department. And from there, that's where he meets... Uh, it takes his, off like a freight train oh, pretty yeah. much from here. He meets his partner, uh, who, Lewis. Is, who is Lewis. And uh, Lewis is played by Nancy Allen, who... You know, funny enough, I I don't think I've seen her in a ton of stuff. Like I've seen her in Poltergeist three, uh, I've seen her in man. Poltergeist three was a reunion of RoboCop's like cast. Was it? Uh, nah, just because you said the old man was in it too. No, Halloween three. Oh, Halloween three. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, Halloween three is the old man. Poltergeist three is Nancy Allen. <laughs> Something about the threes. <laughs> yeah. It all goes back to Batman, anyways. But you know, Nancy Allen is is. I think I put her in the attractive moms club. <laughs> like, she, you know what? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, she's. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I was like, man. Nancy Allen sure did look nice. You're like, she's cute. <laughs> she's a nice lady. And you, know, <laughs> you know what's funny is Verhoeven had her cut her hair so many times so that she wouldn't be sexualized. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm, that's another thing you that fucking I was, disgusting pig. Well, that's another thing that I was thinking about is the fact that in this world, there are co-ed bathrooms, co-ed locker rooms, which is where like you know all the police officers are together. And I think that is a motif of the film in that we live in a world where genders are mo- looked at as much more alike, right? As just like, it, it, it is, it, in, where, while in certain aspects it is a dystopian future where everything's gone to shit, there's other aspects of it, like specifically in the police force, where it has become a lot more progressive in that way. And there is a funny scene where, like, you know, where, where Murphy does meet uh, Lewis for the first time. They're getting into the squad car. And as Lewis is about to open the squad car and drive away, that's when Murphy just says, I, I like to drive when I'm breaking a new partner. And mm-hmm. just kind of relegates her to the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, that's a little... Why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when they, when they you know, go to get coffee while they're on patrol, uh, that's where... Uh, that's where uh, Murphy starts playing with his gun, doing the trick where he like spins the gun around, yeah. and then that's where she asks him, you know, where he got that from, and he got it from a uh, fictionalized television show inside this movie called TJ Laser. That's what it was. That I was par- trying to remember what it what it was. <laughs> that a par- which I don't know if it's like a TJ Hooker like knockoff that mm-hmm. takes place in this world, uh, but TJ Laser is like a robot, I think. Also, mm-hmm. so. Uh, you know, it's the, he talks about how it's something that his, that his son like really likes that he does. So it gives you a nice small moment for him and Lewis to get to know each other very quickly because mm-hmm. this movie's just gonna fly by really fast. Uh, but the other thing it does is it does give you the introdu- it gives you the introduction to the robot motif, and then once they get paged that a crime has taken place and they have to get back in the car and and go on patrol, that's when Lewis is the one that ends up taking the wheel. So, this is a world where the genders balance out a little bit more. You see, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm also not going to, like, shit all over everything you said, because I do think it's a relative point. But, I mean, a big part of it is we're watching it from 2019 eyes. I don't know if Verhoeven was trying to do that. Because, I mean, he does the same, I think that's just a Verhoeven thing, because he did the same thing in uh, Starship Troopers. Remember the scene where they're all showering together and talking about why they joined the the infantry anyway? Yeah, but I don't think Verhoeven makes a choice like that by accident. If well, Verhoeven wants to sexualize something, we've seen showgirls. He will do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> oh, that was gross. I feel disgusted with myself. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I saw boobs. <laughs> that's what I was happy about. But anyway, once we get into it, uh, after this, that's where we meet the villains of this film, which is Boddicker's gang. Yeah, <laughs> and some of you thespians will remember Kurtwood Smith as Red from that 70s show. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, when I watched this movie as an adult, I was like, what the fuck, is, why is the dad from that 70s show, <laughs> A, have such a foul mouth in this movie, and B, like, doing coke and murdering people? And they do a lot of cocaine! <laughs> like, I never realized how much cocaine gets done in this movie. And if we didn't have, in, you know, and because we didn't reach our bad dad quota, we also had Ray Wise from Twin Peaks in this. <laughs> hey, hey, have some respect. Red Foreman was a great father. Mm, I'm going to say you just started watching Twin Peaks. Oh, no, no, no. I said Red Foreman, not oh. fucking... <laughs> <laughs> and the mo- okay, so yeah, Ray Wise is in it. He's from Twin Peaks. I've never seen Twin Peaks. I'm actually starting it now. And as soon as I saw him on, I'm like, oh, you did something bad. <laughs> I'm like, I just have this like spider sense to never trust Ray Wise in anything. Oh no, Ray Wise is always slimy and everything. He, he played the devil in Reaper. <laughs> well, funny enough, like if you watch the television show Psych on that that was on USA Network, yeah, he we priest did. on Psych. He did what season? All, the uh, All of Gus's them. priest. Yeah, I think he's like in three different seasons. I need to rewatch that show. That yeah. show's great. It's awesome. Anyway, so he goes to, you know, banging whores and doing cocaine. So here... Um, the Boddicker gang. The Boddicker gang just made off with a shit ton of money, which you find out they means nothing because half of it got burnt when they were ba- burning through the uh, through the vault door, uh, which leads to a shootout through the... Uh, it leads to a shootout between uh, Murphy, Lewis, and the gang where they end up in this weird industrial area. Uh, backup is what? I forgot what they say. They say backup isn't unavailable at the moment, so pretty much they're on their own. So, they sneak around, you know, trying to get a jump on the gang, and then, uh, Lewis gets incapacitated by one of the gang members in a very weird psychosexual way, where he's like, oh, because she gets him while he's peeing, right? Mm. And he's like, do you mind if I put this away? (laughs) And then the moment she looks down to see if his dick's really out, he she gets slapped like down two stories or some shit. But she gets taken out of the fight, and then uh, Murphy gets the drop on one of the guys, ends up killing him, and then he gets contro- he gets confronted by Bodecker and everybody. So he ends up getting surrounded, and they start taunting him. And this leads to uh, one of the most iconic. And just, I don't even know, I, I want to call it disturbing, but it's not disturbing. It's it just one of the craziest, sh- like, shootings in movie history. Where Alex Murphy gets the shit shot out of him until he falls to pieces, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And it's like, something like a hundred and something squibs are used throughout this entire it's, it's, scene. One of the things that this movie will set itself apart from anything you've ever seen, like just watching it, is just the hyper-violence. It is, and we cannot stress enough how crazy the hyper-violence is in this. Um... And, you know, like, I love that they have that one line because they really put in this, you know, like, the thing about Alex Murphy is that he's very defiant. And I think that's kind of, like, the point they're trying to drive home by the end of the film, right? 
Um, and I love that scene where he's like, where uh, where Bodacker confronts him, and he tells him, he tells Murphy, you know, he tells Murphy, oh, I don't really like cops. You know, you must hate me or something like that. Some of the effect, like, what do you think of me, right? Mm-hmm. And then Murphy goes, buddy, I think you're scum. Knowing he's going to essentially get killed at this point. That's right before he gets shot to shit. And finally, Bodacker ends it with the fuck you shot, shooting him right in the head. And essentially leaving Murphy to die. So mm-hmm. Lewis ends up coming upon his corpse. He gets recovered by OCP, his body. And he's rushed to a hospital where they do as much as they can to try to keep him alive. Because the thing is, and this is the really fucked up part when I, st- when I watched it um, recently for the podcast. You know, he's wearing the body armor. So the shots that are hitting him in the body technically aren't really hitting him. So that's why he loses all his appendages first. So I'm like, that's actually kind of worse. I would have rather you fucking killed me quick. <laughs> so, you know, they do the they do a surgery. They try to save his life. They call him dead. And this is when we find out that OCP actually has contracts. Uh, they have all these officers sign contracts. In that they are OCP property even upon death. Yeah, this is the corporatization of the police force, right? Mm-hmm. Your body no longer belongs to you. It's going to belong to the state. Or it's going to... Be- well, in this case, it's going to belong to corporate America. Bob Morton, to be precise. Yeah. And he, he chooses Alex Murphy to be the new candidate for the RoboCop program. Funny enough, Miguel Ferrer is in this movie. And he does also appear in Twin Peaks. So you're going to enjoy yourself. Man, there's a lot of Twin Peaks. Maybe Twin Peaks is the reunion of <laughs> RoboCop. But, um, yeah, you know, and, like, they have that. It's re- the way that one dude, like, there's that one executive guy that's right next to Bob Morton. And when they say, can we use him as a test subject? And the guy was like, they signed a contract. We can do whatever we want. It just gave me chills because I'm like, you know, there is fucking corporate stooges that think shit like that. Well, let's be clear, too, because we're talking about the Murphy side of the story here. But really, this intersects a lot with the uh, Dick Jones and John Morton, like with the Morton Jones, like feud that they're having at OCP Mm -hmm. because Dick Jones is the Ed 309 guy and... Bob Morton. Morton is the guy that's trying to pioneer RoboCop. Yeah, Bob Morton is a guy who's 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 creating the RoboCop program. It's a bit more controversial because instead of it being a straight robot, you're essentially turning a human into like a monster. It's a cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, it that's where you kind of get into what are the ethics of this. As I well. mean, me personally, and I want to go on record right now, is that if anyone, you know, listeners or you alike... Had, like, if someone asks you, oh, Javi's dead, what should we do with his remains? And one of those options is put me in a robot? You better fucking put me in that goddamn robot. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do like about this scene is that the way this scene kind of unfolds, right? Um, it, it shows you everything from Murphy's perspective. Mm-hmm. And, like, the camera just sits in the, you know, in his point of view. Mm-hmm. And you're watching all the stuff that's happening around him. So, as he's getting turned into a cyborg, a New Year's party that takes place at some point. Yeah. Um, and then... All they do the scene where they're like, oh, we, you know, we kept very basic organs... Uh, but we also kept his left hand, and then Morton says, I thought we were gonna do fully automated prosthesis, you know, full prosthesis, and he's like, lose the hand. 
And the fact that Murphy's conscious during that but can't do anything. Fucking terrifying, you know? And you know what actually, you know, does this scene very well? If you get the chance, rewatch Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, DC Universe. I know I talk a lot about it a lot. But they do a really good scene where uh, Robot Man or, uh, you know, you know, not uh, nah, crap, I'm blanking. Point is, Robot Man has to sit there and pretty much go through exactly what Murphy's going through. So, yeah, he sees the party and then eventually uh, he gets booted up online. And, you know, Morton at one point in an excited fashion scene that Robocop's working says, you're going to be one bad motherfucker. And, you know, next thing is he gets unveiled, and here comes RoboCop off to save the day. Oh, and, you know, I love the gun that they, they give him, like, a giant cartoonist future gun. Uh, based on a Beretta 93R, which is an actual gun. But pretty much they just put a bunch of fancy futuristic-looking right. shit on Right, so it. originally they were going to go with the Desert Eagle, but they yeah. said the Desert Eagle looked way too small in his massive suit hands. <laughs> which is crazy to think of. So that's why they ended up going with the Beretta and, like, basically modifying it so that it looked more gigantic just made it bigger than it needed to be <laughs> uh, so this is where you're gonna get now robocop going on patrol right yeah so pretty much ocp forces uh detroit metro to be like the main hub they they take over one of the like i don't know if it's supposed to be garages but they pretty much take it over just for robocop and then, uh, yeah, they send him on patrol, but he has to follow three prime directives. And I'm going to quiz you. What are they? Mm, <laughs> I know them, but maybe you should say them so that our listeners can know them. <laughs> so that too. I know everyone knows them. <laughs> so, number one, serve the public trust. Two, protect the innocent. And three, uphold the law. So, and then there's the mysterious fourth one that he won't know about until later. But, you know, they, they have the reference. It's there, you know. They're putting in, they're, they're, they're foreshadowing that that's going to come up. Mm-hmm. And then we get the awesome scenes of fucking RoboCop, like, breaking up crimes. Yes, which is, this is where you get that amazing RoboCop score. You get him driving into, I, I, it, it, sure, laugh at me all you want. No, I, I agree with you. Like, but it's I corny abs- and cheesy, but I fucking love oh it. Oh my god, I love the score of this film. I wish I could just, like, listen to it while I work out. No, just driving, just... <laughs> just looking for people to punch in the face. Um, and then, you, so we get, uh, I guess, like a convenience store that is being robbed. <laughs> by by a comical uh, villain who's holding a like automatic like machine gun. It's like a World War Two gun. Like it looks super weird to hold up like a grocery store. Basically telling you that this is a world where guns are in wide, where not just guns but like Crime. military grade guns are like all over the streets and used by criminals. Just like real Detroit. I mean, they just like real anywhere in this country. Yeah, it's like real anywhere. Because if if I can't have my guns, then the criminals will have guns, and how am I going to shoot my guns? So I love that, uh, you know, that that the safe in this store is uh, hidden Hidden behind beer? (laughs) Hidden under a bunch of empty beer cans. No one would ever think to look behind the beer cans. And right when they're about to open the safe, that's when Robocop shows up in the store, to which the guy just keeps going, Oh, fuck me. <laughs> and start shooting, and then Robocop grabs him and like throws him into a freezer. So like he probably causes like 
triple times the property damage by just doing what he did. Shut up! He saved lives. (laughs) (laughs) And by clotheslining the shit out of people. And then, like, the next crime he stops is he stops a rape. And it's like... I think you made the the hilarious, uh, like, what's it called? Observation. That's probably what, like... Old white people in the 80s thought criminals looked like in the hood. <laughs> it's pretty shocking. Because obviously now, like, we are very much conditioned to, 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 for most of us who are good moral people in this world are conditioned to know that rape is horrifying, shocking. And we understand, like, the severity of it. God damn it, did the 80s, like, kind of treat this like a gag. It's like, you just have these laughing guys just be like, <laughs> I'm just like, ew. <laughs> like, that's, alright. And of course, right before the, they do the deed, Robocop pulls up, and <laughs> my favorites, or one of my favorite scenes, it, it's, you know, again, just because it's kind of like the way it's kind of played for laughs, which is bad. Uh, but it just tells you more about the character, right? Is that he... They, they hold the girl hostage. Robocop zeroes in, shooting between the girl's legs. And hitting the dude right in the dick. Shooting his dick off. <laughs> making both dudes, like, um, um, immediately give up. And then the girl comes running over to Robocop and hugs him and thanks him. To which Robocop responds, You have gone through a traumatic life event. I will inform our nearest rape crisis center. And then just leaves the girl there. With those criminals. He does! He never arrests anybody! Did you notice that? Didn't he kill them though? I don't know! I don't think he killed the guy he threw in the in the convenience store. I'm pretty sure he's dead. I'm, he didn't kill those guys. I'll kill you right now. So honestly, all right, right away, Robocop is maybe about batting 500 when it comes to being a good police officer. Oh my god! And so this leads us to another robbery. Because apparently old Detroit is just like stupid. It's like GTA where there's robberies and crime going on all the time. And the cool thing is that RoboCop has like this weird crime sense where he knows when crime he knows when crimes are taking place, where exactly, and what crime exactly is taking place. So he drives to this gas station where he finds this this poor little nerd that looks apparently just like Paul Verhoeven <laughs> is being accosted by accosted by a big jerk with a gun who is robbing gas <laughs> he steals his money and his gas yeah was that- you know wouldn't you if you were holding up a, a gas station i would not pick the one item it takes forever to get away with but this is detroit that's just gonna be our excuse for everything it's the future shut up it's 2043 or whatever the fuck it's supposed to take place it's 2023 (laughs) we'll be here in two years we will we're already like 70% loaded (laughs) (laughs) so Robocop ends up confronting this guy who he finds out is Emil Emil happened to be one of the guys that's in Baudecker's gang and recognizing that uh, that Murphy's RoboCop because he uses I believe the same line. Yeah, 
Is that where he uses Dead or Alive? Dead or coming Alive, you're coming with me. And that's when he says, which is just one of the fucking Such a cool slickest fuck. lines ever. And the way he says it as a robot, yeah. Dead or Alive, you're coming with me. Again, it's awesome that Peter Weller is able to do this with his voice. Shut up, I can do it too. I sound just like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he just has that voice where he can sound like a robot. It's fucking great, right? So he ends up taking a meal in. And he ends up uh, using this weird multi-purpose spike yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that he's able to plug into like any computer anywhere. It's like R two D two in Star Wars, where he has the fucking weird like Robo Dick that like just... it's it's the world's most impractical USB device. Yeah, because he just stabs things <laughs> and makes them do whatever he wants. Again, this is the eighties. USB didn't exist yet, but there's just no way on earth that you yeah, USB... but apparently fucking data knives did exist. <laughs> shove his data knife in your face. So I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, it's kind of cool, but it's also so stupid. It's kind of mega awesome, but it's also dumb. <laughs> you know what? You just described the '80s in one <laughs> phrase. It's mega awesome, but kind of dumb. <laughs> That's gonna be the fucking title of my biography. <laughs> Oh my god! So he ends up finding out that um, what's it? he ends up finding out that uh, that Emil works for uh, Bodecker. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, <laughs> Morton is celebrating the only way you do in the eighties: <laughs> cocaine and hookers, man. man. There's so much cocaine, and there's so much like sniffing cocaine off of women's bodies and I just can't handle it. <laughs> you know, as a kid, when I watched this movie, I was just like... I, it just made me think as an adult, everyone does cocaine. And <laughs> I just thought cocaine was going to be super available. And as it turns out, it is. Like As an adult, everyone does cocaine. Uh, it is? Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I'll say this about the character of Bob Morton. He's a mega dick. He is like the lesser of all the evils. That's what I'm saying is that he's an, he's an actual asshole. But I guess it's the performance that it's just like I'd still like to watch him like get over on Dick Jones Monday through Friday no matter what. If I had to pick, I would rather it be Morton over Jones. I agree. These guys are literally the 2016 presidential election of movie characters. (laughs) And maybe the 2020. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, in no way is Morton fucking relieved. But I mean, it really hammers in the point that OCP is not a good company. They are not the good guy in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And that really gets hammered on under the context of the entire series of RoboCop. Um, but at least here, like, you, you know, uh, for some fucking reason, Dick Jones has Bodecker, like, shoot, um, shoot Morton and then play a DVD, which RoboCop predicted DVDs. But have him, have him play a DVD where he essentially tells him, I'm responsible for all crime in this city. <laughs> and you have to die now because you fucked me. And they end up like 
putting a grenade in his house and killing him by blowing up everything. So now without Morton, Murphy has no more protection. Essentially from, uh, what's his name? Dick Jones. So Bodecker ends up trying to meet with the local crime boss. Oh, oh I, f- I forgot to include the Lewis part where she triggers his memory. Which, yeah, absolutely. Like, before I go into one of the coolest scenes in the movie, well, we should no, no, talk was, about that. Yeah, it, it's, but it still it fits in in this time. Like, right before we get to Bob Morton, that's where we do get uh, the scene where... Well, I guess it's before he does go to the gas station, right? Because it's when, it's, when it's when he knows a meal. Uh, yeah. When he knows about a meal, right? Yeah. He, it, by the time he... And it's not like he didn't know before because he's, he's essentially dreaming. Mm-hmm. And what wakes him up to end up going to the gas station to get a meal is the fact that he's been dreaming about his old life. Yeah, in which you're seeing his wife and, and son. He's and, remembering his family, remembering his death, remembering I mean, who Alex Murphy was. It's funny because it is something that's sad when you watch it. But at the same time, because these are characters that, that I, as a moviegoer watching this film, never spent any time with... They might as well just not exist anyway. Mm-hmm. So it is a little weird how like the the family is just completely dropped and and he's able to just move on. But at the same time, he is a robot now. So for the most part, he isn't going to think about his humanity. But I think one of the things that makes this film so impressive and amazing is that it is really the robotic Murphy realizing, you know, how human he still is. Or if he is, you know, is he a robot that has Murphy's thoughts, you know? Is he a robot that thinks he's Murphy? Or is Murphy really gone? Like, you know, and it kind of raises that question and it never really answers it. Which I think actually works better. Because if you're going to go into the whole dystopian, secretly sad ending that this movie has, like, it works perfectly, you know? And then the thing is, Lewis remembers that she's Murphy, or that uh, Robocop is Murphy, and she... You know, talks to him and tries to remind him who he was, right? Which she gets admonished for it by Morton and the police department. So now, the coolest fucking action scene in this movie. We got Bodecker. Yeah, he's being racist. He's talking to this Italian mob boss who drinks wine all the time and wears silk shirts. And I'm assuming that's how all Italians are all the time. And I guess, like, sticks his fingers in the guy's wine glass so that he can wash all the coke down with, like, nose wine. And then he's like, oh, sweet, nose wine, give me more. <laughs> and, they, you know, this ends in a Mexican standoff between Bodacker's gang and this guy, this, this coke kingpin, I forget what the guy's name is, uh, where for some fucking reason... You know, they're, 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 and by the way, Kurtwood Smith does an amazing job in this scene, just playing up an evil bastard, talking about how, you know, if he wants to move coke in his city, he's got to play by his rules, because he's the one that has the channels, he has, like, the distribution, and he has that awesome line where he's like, you know, because I have enough firepower to shove half of this, uh, this uh, factory up your stupid blank ass so far or was it so far up your ass you're gonna be like puking snow for a month or some shit like that and i was just like damn dude why is he so evil and then he has the line right after he goes come on he's like the tigers play today and i never miss a game and i'm just like oh you're you're a dick <laughs> i fucking hate the tigers <laughs> fuck you justin verlander <laughs> 
And then, you know, at this point is we hear the, the punching on the on the door. And in comes Robocop in all his cybernetic glory with this big fuck-off gun. And he goes into kill mode and just starts murdering his way through the entire fucking just factory, right? And Bodecker's gang ends up getting away. He ends up beating the shit out of Bodecker while reading him his Miranda rights. I love how this robot cop... Has like absolutely no regard for how police do anything. Fuck no! He was just like, fuck you! He's, li- he's literally a killing machine. He's a police <laughs> officer in name only. As far as being a police officer, Robocop's a pretty shitty one. <laughs> so he just starts beating the shit out, throwing, like, just throwing Bot Ecker through all these fucking uh, plain so anyway, glass windows. I just windows. started shooting my way through the factory. <laughs> So anyway, I showed up and started blasting. Blam, blam, blam. He is that meme, yes. <laughs> and what's really funny is that apparently during this scene, this was like, this was uh, Peter Weller's favorite scene to film because all he did was put on his Walkman and play Red Rain on a loop <laughs> and just go around like shooting people. He said it was hella fun. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, he ends up bringing uh, Bodecker in. But what's really cool is that he looks like he's ready to kill him, right? And this kind of plays to what we're talking about. How much of RoboCop is 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 Murphy? How much of Ro- Murphy's RoboCop? Which I think he is starting to become more Murphy now because RoboCop Mission 1, he has no qualms about killing anyone. Zero. He murders <laughs> people for funsies. <laughs> so like now that he's actually stopping himself from murdering a very serious killer that's got tons of charges against him. Mm-hmm. It is you're starting to see now the change in evolution. It is a Frankenstein story in a lot of ways. My favorite part is that his directives pop up, and when Bodecker says you're a cop, aren't you? He says I am a cop, and but it highlights the third directive, which is uphold the law. And I was like, damn, dude, like. That's crazy that he's programmed to follow the law even though everything in his fucking body tells him to kill this guy. You know, it's you're right. It is actually, in some ways, it is a retelling of the Frankenstein story. He ends up taking Bodecker in. Doesn't matter. You know, he gets thrown in. Uh, you know, he gets out on jail or gets out of jail almost immediately. But when they show up to the precinct, the important thing that we learn is that the police union actually had a, a, a vote to go to strike. So at, at midnight, no police officers are going to be working in Detroit anymore. All of them are going to go on strike. Because something ridiculous where one of the guys says we're getting creamed out there. <laughs> and they end up, like, they lost, like, five cops the week before or some Which shit like that. Stop laughing because your dumbass decided to say what we were watching. We're getting cream pie out there. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great, now I look like a dick. <laughs> We're getting cream pie, sir. <laughs> it just gets worse. The cream pie and the shit out of us. <laughs> Disgusting. So, so, of course, this leads to... Oh, no, 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 I'm skipping a part. More cream pie. <laughs> That's what you're going to say, huh? <laughs> No, I was going to skip a scene. You know, this actually leads us to RoboCop confronting Dick Jones because one thing that we learn is Bodecker 
while getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, Bondecker admits to be working for Dick Jones and killing people for Dick Jones and doing all the crimes for Dick Jones. Mm-hmm. So now using that evidence, uh, Robocop goes and confronts him. And as he is about to bring in Dick Jones on Conspiracy for Murder, uh, he finds out what that secret fourth directive is. And it says that he cannot act against active OCP employees mm-hmm. or personnel or whatever, right? So at this point, he's not able, he can't bring him in. He struggles. And then ED 209 comes in and they get into the world's slowest, like, shootout where. You know, Robocop gets shot up by E.D. He ends up uh, fighting his, or you know, finding his way down the stairs because apparently E.D. 209's biggest weakness is it can't walk downstairs. So we get that amazing stop motion <laughs> scene of him eating shit, yeah. <laughs> just like falling down on the fucking landing. And as Robocop runs outside, he gets confronted by uh, OCP like staff and like security and uh detroit pd and he ends up getting shot to shit it should be noted that not all the cops participate like a lot of the cops from metro do not actually shoot right but one of them happens to be the swat leader Mm -hmm. from so you know a scene that we did not talk about on the first night that he was there was the awesome scene where there's a criminal that's holding the mayor as, uh, as a hostage victim I forgot about that! I fucking love that part! <laughs> and uh, in that scene, that's when uh, Robocop goes to City Hall. He, like, ends up walking right by the SWAT team, who was kind of telling him to hold back. And he said, fuck off. <laughs> and he basically goes in anyway. And while the negotiator's essentially about to get the mayor murdered, because he's just kind of <laughs> dicking around with the car. Yeah, we'll give you a car! What about a 6,000 sucks, huh? <laughs> And uh, right as the guy is, you know, pointing the gun at the mayor and about to blow his brains out, that's when Dark Knight Returns style, yep. he had Peter Weller, like, you know, the RoboCop burst through the wall to grab him and yank him in through the wall. And just beats the shit out of him. <laughs> it's funny, when he stops those crimes, it's a lot of him beating the shit out of criminals. So actually, it is a lot like Batman. Yeah, so anyway, that SWAT guy, who I guess probably has an axe to grind with RoboCop, is one of the guys who's... In this shootout. He's like trying not to look like he has a boner as he's shooting him. (laughs) And then uh, Murphy is the one that helps him escape. Lewis is the one that helps him escape. Sorry. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) So Lewis ends up uh, finding him as he's getting all shot to shit again. God, Murphy's existence sucks. (laughs) He can't be a cop without getting shot to shit. He's a gun target. Fucking A. So they ended up, uh, you know, he ends up falling down in this parking garage. He gets picked up by Lewis and driven out to... What looks like the same industrial area he got shot in to begin with. Yep. Meanwhile, Bodecker and his gang and uh, pretty much everybody who's a criminal in Detroit are having a field day just stealing and killing and shooting things, whatever they want. And they end up stealing a bunch of these, (laughs) the 6,000 SUX, (laughs) or the 6,000 sucks, which... You know, it's actually funny where the, the, the origin story of that, because I guess all the, so all the cop cars are Ford Tauruses, and the one that's, the car that's competing against the Ford Taurus is actually the Pontiac 6000, so as a little, like, because Ford, I think, like, gave them a bunch of Tauruses to use for the movie, um, 
one of the things that they did were like, oh, well, let's just make the that, that Pontiac sucks. So that's why the recurring joke of the 6000 SUX. So they end up stealing a bunch of those cars. They steal, like, these fucking, like, essentially 50 millimeter rifles. Mm-hmm. So, like, 50 cal rifles that apparently blow shit up on contact. And they're going to go hunting for Robocop. So they drive on down to this, uh, they, they use the tracker that uh, Dick Jones has, and they find him down at this industrial area where they shot him at, and uh, right off the bat, uh, Robocop starts taking him out, like he takes out one of the guys, um, and while they're hunting him down, <laughs> Emil's in a truck, <laughs> driving at Robocop. Who's standing in front of this conveniently placed toxic waste tank that all industrial areas are known to have. And he crashes right into it, Robocop dodging. And in the fastest mutation melting scene I had ever seen in all my years as a moviegoer, this guy turns into a melting man like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's, holy shit. He literally turned into a melting monstrosity before your eyes. It... it, it, it I just saw Toxic Avenger. It gave me so many vibes <laughs> of a fucking like Toxic Avenger movie, dude. It was fucking wild. Uh, you know, this guy comes fucking falling out, and he com- you know he tries to ask Ray Wise for help, and Ray's like, "Don't touch me, man!" <laughs> and pretty much throws him into oncoming traffic. Yeah, which goes, like the car like immediately makes him break apart just, into like two different pieces. It was so fucking gross looking. I had to rewind the fucking running over scene because I had to process what the fuck happened to his body. <laughs> it just like disintegrates on contact. So what ends up happening? Bodecker crashes into this uh, ditch, and Lewis goes in after him. She gets shot by Bodecker, and you know. uh... I think uh, Murphy, he, in this fucking, like, Jesus moment, looks like he's walking over the wa- on the water <laughs> as he walks over to save Lewis. He ends up having, a, like, a bunch of scrap metal dropped on him by Ray Wise. Which, you know, when once we get to the climax of this film and, uh, Murphy, has, and Murphy has been rescued by Lewis... Uh, that's when he unscrews the helmet, so you see him without the RoboCop. I forgot helmet about that. Off. Yeah, and so this entire like ending of the film is him without the helmet. I'm such a dumbass. I should have pointed that out. Well, it's 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 interesting because it's funny. It, again, it looks like Peter Weller, but the makeup is so impressive here. And you know who did the makeup and special effects in this movie? My boy from the Thing, Rob. Rob Boutine. Rob Boutine. Thank you. I knew you'd finish my sin. Tits? Yeah. <laughs> so Rob Boutine did the uh, makeup special effects. Looks fucking amazing. Like honestly, the the fucking maskless RoboCop looks so. It looks so creepy because it gives the it gives you the idea that underneath his face, it probably looks like a T eight hundred. Really, what it gives you is it gives you the idea that they just took the skin on his head and stretched it over the top of this robot. <laughs> like fucking Leatherface style. Yeah, it's, it's frightening. But it's, it's really gross to think about. But and again, it's the facial expressions that you get from Peter Weller that does such a fantastic job at selling it to you. And I do love that part where, you know, since we're on the topic, that part where Lewis and him are really having that moment where he's like, so what, she's like, what do you remember? And he says that sad part, he goes... I feel them, but I don't remember them. Talking in reference to his family, 
And it's like, it really does make you feel because it brings back that question. Is, is he a robot who thinks he's a man or is he a man that's become a robot, you know? So back to the action. <laughs> so he gets a shit ton of scrap metal dropped on him. Lewis ends up blowing up Ray Wise to shit with the, one of those big ass cannons. And then, you know, Bodinger grabs a fucking, like, metal spear in the most fucking not Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ shit ever. And he starts fucking hitting Robocop with it and ends up stabbing him in the chest, a la Jesus. (laughs) Remember, not Jesus. And then he ends up getting stabbed by my Robocop in the neck, just like Jesus did to the Romans. What? What? (laughs) All right. Why'd you program Robocop to feel pain? <laughs> I thought that was really stupid. <laughs> so he ends up stabbing fucking Bodecker's throat, which, like, explodes blood everywhere when that happens. Yeah, his throat turns into a blood geyser. <laughs> so, um, you know, he ends up killing Bodecker, getting revenge. And Lewis says, what does she say to him? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm all fucked up, man. And he goes, don't worry. They'll fix you. They fix everybody. <laughs> yeah. And he ends up driving out to OCP to finally be able to confront Dick Jones. Um, Dick Jones was saying that the, you know, it cuts to him in the boardroom telling people how the strike's going to work in OCP's favor, that they can put uh, ED-209s out like on the streets by the end of the day that he has one like securing the building right now robocop confronts said uh 209 using the cannons the bad guys were using to kill the (laughs) the 209 before going in ends up confronting um ends up confronting dick jones in front of everyone at ocp and ends up re you know playing back his admission that he killed or he had morton killed dick jones ends up Taking the old man at gunpoint, and then <laughs> I fucking love this part. <laughs> so he ends up, uh, you know, like he he can't do anything because the uh, prime directives are that he can't act against OCP staff. He tells the old man, the old man fires him on the spot. The directive like erases, and he says thank you, and ends up shooting him till he falls out the window in the most comical like stop motion because Dick Jones suddenly has like twenty foot arms. He suddenly has like giant monkey arms, and they're like triple jointed. So he's like, <laughs> so he falls to his death. The old man asks him, "What's your name, son?" To which Robocop responds, "Murphy." And boom! It's awesome. I don't remember, like, when I saw this as an adult, I did not remember the movie ending so suddenly. And it was almost kind of shocking for me how quickly it just ends. I love it. It's perfect. It's perfect. And I know I've seen Robocop 2 and Robocop 3 and stuff. uh, But, you know, again, much like Halloween or much like these other series that we've talked about where the first one is, is so special on its own. Like I'm totally fine with if the if the world of this film ends with Murphy walking out of that boardroom, it's totally fine with me because it's it is it's close to a perfect movie. It's fantastic and it tricks you because it makes you think. And this is a point I heard from another podcast called Wizard and the Bruiser. Don't want to fucking act like I'm a smartass. I came up with this myself. I want to give credit where credit's due. And one of the things that they talk about that I thought was a really interesting point was it tricks you into thinking this is a happy ending. Because, yeah, you think Murphy is the good guy. Or you know Murphy's the good guy. 
But you know also OCP's the bad guy because mm. of just how fucking questionable all their practices are because they are a fucking conglomerate that's privatizing everything in the city. Yeah, he's not a hero. He's essentially just an instrument that's being used by corporate America. Exactly, and at the end of the day, even though he did what was right, you know what? New Detroit is still... On Mega, or what's it called? Mega, Delta City. Yeah. Delta City is still going to be built. People are going to get kicked out of their homes, and it's like, yeah, this you don't movie, fix. This movie literally deals with capitalism, it deals with police brutality, it deals with violence, uh, the widening wage gap and wealth gap in this country, and gentrification. Gentrification, which again, for and people robots. like us who live in the Bay Area, yeah, robots that are. But becoming, yeah, gentrification, back to that. <laughs> no, like just all these things that we are literally living in the world that this movie has been positing. Maybe not to the same dramatic, ridiculous degree, but it is one of those situations where, yes, an 80s movie predicted a future that is not very different from the future we end up getting. And one of the strongest points of this film, and I think a lot of Verhoeven's work, especially if you go back and watch Starship Troopers, is just the satire. And I think both of those movies are really interesting when you watch it under the lens of where we're at right now in 2020. Because of the fact that, you know, you got a movie that, or you got a movie that talks about jingoism and, like, you know nationalistic fervor in Starship Troopers, which is something we're also going through, which now I kind of want to talk about <laughs> Starship Troopers. But also you got a movie that's addressing like the privatization of fucking everything in our world and how corporations are kind of taking over our day-to-day lives, you know? And... I mean, they already run our healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. Which, shockingly enough, like, people die because they're not considered worthy of getting basic services that keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the hero is a guy that, even though he represents the system and he's still a tool of the system, he isn't, he doesn't forget who he was, you know? And that's what Murphy is supposed to be, is the guy that, even though he's within, he, he's part of the system, he, he kind of breaks away from it, right? Especially by RoboCop 3 when he gets that awesome jetpack. <laughs> and he fights robot ninjas. Remember that? Remember that movie? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, uh, I mean, we don't even have to ask each other this, but you know, uh, for the sake of everything, yes, I will say I like RoboCop. I, you know, I love this movie. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic film. It's got so much rich, like it's got so many rich themes in it. And like I said, it's a Trojan horse. It's a movie that on the outside looks like it's going to be ridiculous, hollow, uh, just like. Any old Arnold Schwarzenegger 80s movie that you could have imagined. But when you watch it and you just see how deep it is. You know, to me, again, like I said, this is one of my top five favorite movies of all time. It is so smart. It is so perfect. And um, and it just paints like a really dark dystopian future or present that we're living in now. And reminds us of... The world that we're unfortunately heading to. I feel like something like this is a lot more... Like, you know, we've seen plenty of stuff where in Terminator they talk about the robot apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And they make, like, all these, like, you know, really big post-apocalyptic kind of things. This is really shocking because it's something that's a lot more subtle. Mm-hmm. And it's also just... It, it is how it ends up being. Which is a movie that just, again, much like when I read Handmaid's Tale ten years ago, is something that now in the world that we're living in now is more relevant than ever. 
And one thing I wanted to talk about before, uh, and I mentioned this offline when you and I were, when I was telling you, I started replaying GTA Five, and one of the like one of the things I really pick on is that or pick up on with Rockstar games specifically GTA series is the humor, like the way they satirize just culture, American culture. They they satirize pop culture. Like they're not afraid to make fun of things, right? But it's like the writing is so fucking good and it's so on point. That it, like, I you cannot tell me that in some way, shape, or form, even subliminally, RoboCop, like, the writing did not influence the GTA writers in some way, shape, or form, you know? Mm-hmm. Because this it's that same type of writing. The comedy is on point. It's over the top. I love, like you mentioned, they use the, the if they're not going to show you what happens... The, I love the I love the using the newscasters as a way to one build your world and also two to progress your storyline. Mm-hmm. Like it's just top to bottom. There was a lot of good choices when filming this movie that made it. It like you said, damn near perfect. You know, it's a great fucking movie. It has great fucking like acting performances, great action. Like, what's not to love about it? You know, and. Unfortunately, they tried to make a reboot in 2014. Didn't really work out so well. Um, but man, like it just like as I watch this movie, all I can say is I wish Neil Blomkamp was still making the 2018 like reboot sequel. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know if it was supposed to be in 2018. He was gonna do it, but he was supposed to do a RoboCop reboot sequel that was gonna deal with like black market. Uh, body modifications and then it was going to be dealing with human trafficking and organ trafficking like it was actually a really cool plot and I was like man I really hope Neil Blomkamp makes that movie but unfortunately he's not no longer going to be directing don't get me started Neil Blomkamp's unmade Robocop Neil Blomkamp's unmade alien movie I just it angers me that that some of his projects will never see the light of day. And some of his movies did get the light of day, and you're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want Chappie. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. So hopefully one day, you know, we, we get that RoboCop sequel reboot that we all want. All right, so we'd like to thank you guys for joining us. And, uh, again... Happy New Year to all of our listeners, and we look forward to continuing to provide good content for you in the future. Um, we are going to be beginning our James Bond series next week. Hell yeah! I hope you guys are ready, because we're going to start with one of the best ones yet. Well, the one we're actually going to do is, in my opinion, the quintessential Bond film. It is the... Uh, Moonraker. No, no. Moon, we will get the Moonraker. Oh, fucking titties! <laughs> but uh, it's it's Goldfinger. Goldfinger! Yeah, so it is uh, the third of the uh, Sean Connery James Bond films. Oh, fucking sweet! <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the one that comes after From Russia with Love, and we're very excited to get to it. I, I, so the way that this series is going to break down is, again, I've selected what I consider, because I'm the resident Bond fan in this podcast. Yeah, fuck off, Javi. <laughs> this is an angel show now. <laughs> uh, I've gotten what is considered the better uh, version. So 
for each Bond, we'll do what is considered one of their best films, and then what is their worst film. Can't wait for Die Another Day, oh, <laughs> you fucks. <laughs> yeah, so for the Connery series, I wanted us to do uh, Goldfinger. Which is the good one. Yeah, and then the one that's actually uh, pretty awful is going to be... Well, not awful, but just nowhere near as good is You Only Live Twice. All right. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, uh, you can tell me that's the best one. I'll believe you. Yeah. So uh, we'll release we'll release the full schedule of the Bond films that we're going to be covering on the on the Instagram page and on our Facebook page, so you guys can check it out. But uh, yeah, we look forward to starting that series next week. Yep. So we'll talk to you guys next time. All right, later, turds.